continue the conversation on the talking point. In fact, I want us to go uh, straight to our thinking point then this morning. Uh, the latest reports, as you heard there, are that the South African ambassador to that country, Andre Kronewald, uh, is safe after fleeing conflict-torn Kiev. Uh, many, of course, yesterday we heard and listened to Mandisa Astabile Malindisa, a South African medical student uh, who managed to flee Ukraine to Budapest in Hungary and she gave in very vivid details what it is that they have had to go through and endure just to be able to reach Budapest. Of course, one of the concerning things that she said is that there had been no support, no support from the South African government in terms of assisting them in any way to try and escape that conflict. We're going to be in conversation with Clayson Munyela shortly, but I want us to take you back to a portion of that interview. Nothing, nothing, not even a hello, nothing. Mm. It's the government, I don't know what they're saying in South Africa. If they say we are trying to help, please, don't believe that, please. I will say it five times, I don't care. They've done nothing, they don't care, nothing. And the problem is, um, Nkateko's grandmother is the ambassador of the Swiss embassy. How is Switzerland trying to help us for our own country? Every other country, the Indians are getting helped. The Nigerians are getting helped. The Ghanians are getting helped. People from Morocco, they're getting help. They're getting sent home without having to pay for tickets. It's only South Africa, and people put South Africa on the highest pedestal. South Africa is literally the only country that doesn't care. Nothing, nothing. But no help, nothing, nothing. Mm. We're just getting blue ticked. Nothing. Nothing is coming from the government, nothing. They're not even sending us one rand, nothing. We, if, if we didn't have money to pay for our tickets, I would still be stuck here. We are literally, as mm. I said, this is literally 50,000 gone. 50,000 rand gone, trying to just get me home. Government and Mandy said, yeah, yeah. All right, so that was the conversation that I had with Mandisa as Tabile Malindisa yesterday. Let me welcome Kaysen Munyela. He's the head of uh, public diplomacy at the Department of International Relations. Mr. Munyela, good morning to you, and thanks for your time today. Dimela greetings to the listeners as well. Thanks for having me on your platform. Sure. It has been very disheartening, I think, to hear the experience of South African students, mostly, who found themselves caught up in this conflict. I think Mandisa's story is just one of many that we have heard so far about students who feel neglected by the South African government that has been offering very little support during a time where they need it most. What does the department have to say for itself? Okay, so let me first paint a picture of uh, the processes uh, leading up to these attacks and then deal with the support we've given to South Africans that we have on our database that have taken the time to register with us. And then the third thing I'll do, I'll do specifically with uh, Mandisa's issue um, from the clip that you played. Would that be all right if I approached it that way? Yes, that's fine. Go for it. Excellent. So leading up to the attacks, it was very clear that uh, something was going to happen. Many countries advised their nationals to get out. 
of that country. Um, uh, Ambassador Andre Krunewald, who is ambassador to uh, the Ukraine, did the same thing. Uh, he had a database of South Africans that he was in contact with. In fact, uh, he's even created a WhatsApp group. I'm part of that WhatsApp group, so I see the information that uh, he's been sharing prior to this attack during uh, and even continue, it continues to today, he's been sharing information and updates. So, one, there was this warning or advice or message advising our nationals to get out. Once the attacks started happening, it was very clear that we still have a significant number of South Africans in that country, including the students. In fact, in terms of the, uh, the numbers that we have, 34 students that we have on our database, uh, then it was very clear that we needed to move into the second phase of the evacuation uh, plan that the embassy has and had updated. So what we then did, given that this is a country that's currently experiencing a, an armed conflict, so moving around is not easy. I think that's the context that uh, listeners have to remember. Uh, so it was quite difficult to, to move around. We then advised our nationals to take advantage of the trains that we're still moving, um, to get onto those trains and move towards the border areas of countries that were receiving refugees or people fleeing from this armed conflict. Uh, that included the students. Um, as I say, every step of the way was communicated uh, by Ambassador Andre Grunewald. What we then um, ended up having to do was to also deal with these other issues that cropped up, you know, uh, discriminatory tendencies against Africans in particular, not necessarily uh, limited to South Africans. At some point, people were prevented from buying train tickets. At some point, uh, Africans were refused, uh, you know, the right to get onto these trains, even when they go to the border areas, they were put in separate lines, back of the queue, that sort of thing. We protested uh, through our ambassador uh, with the foreign ministry uh, in Ukraine, and after that, the situation slightly improved. Where we are today is that uh, in Hungary, we've been successful in helping our citizens, about 28 of them, who've now crossed into Hungary. Uh, in Romania, I think we've got about three. Poland has been uh, the, uh, the, the, the first country, in fact, was the first country to allow people to cross into that country, even without travel documents or visas or anything like that, because they understand that these are people fleeing from an armed conflict. We've got 13 that we've uh, assisted to cross into Poland. In fact, our ambassador, who's based in Warsaw, Poland, had to drive uh, for about six hours to get to the border area. She's been sleeping in her own car because our priority has been to help South Africans, uh, particularly those who, who are finding it difficult to cross. Now, to come back to the issue of the, uh, the student that you spoke to and the specific issue she raised around monetary assistance, if you go into my Twitter timeline, you'll see that uh, I've even uploaded videos of other students that we've helped. Uh, some of them were even accommodated by our uh, embassy in, in Warsaw, um, in, in Poland, they themselves, in their own words, appreciating the support and the assistance and help they got from the South African government through our embassy. So for every story that is negative, in particular the one of Mandisa, you also have others uh, who had a different experience. Now, let me deal specifically with her expectation, which unfortunately uh, is is based on ignorance of the policies of government. So the consular services that government 
um, extends to South Africans in distress overseas is non-financial. So the expectation that there could have been a budget to give um, her to buy a ticket or, or, or something like that, uh, firstly, the policy doesn't allow that. And in fact, this is not uh, unique to South Africa. Many countries, consular services supported to distressed nationals in foreign countries is non-financial. It's only under exceptional circumstances where cabinet takes a decision to evacuate, where there's a budget attached to it. We recall in the case of uh, China, when we were dealing with COVID-19 at the initial stages of it, a plane was sent to go and test South Africans. In that case, government would have paid for that plane. Recently in Mozambique, when uh, there were this uh, insurgency attacks in Cabo Delgado province, we sent a plane again to go and rescue South Africans. In Nigeria, when there was a church that collapsed again, there was a budget, a budget approved, and a plane was sent to go and fetch uh, uh, South Africans there. So point I'm making is that the support we've been giving to South Africans who are caught up and affected by this uh, armed conflict in Ukraine, thus far, due to the policy limitations, is non-financial. But ambassadors from both Hungary, Budapest, and Warsaw, Poland, and as well as Ambassador Kronewald in Ukraine itself have been on the ground, intimately and actively involved, one, in sharing information, but two, in assisting our nationals. So, you know, Clayson, that's been quite a mouthful. And I want to just then go into some of the issues that you have mentioned from the response of the government and the embassy that represents the government in Ukraine and surrounding countries. So you talk about South Africans that are on the database of the department and say that there was a WhatsApp group created for those that are on the database. Um, sh was there no consideration for the fact that there are people who would be in Ukraine who are South Africans who are not on the database of the consulate? Yeah, no. In fact, one of the, well, I, I would say silver linings, I guess, with some of this, uh, you know, uh, developments that take place around the world is that they also provide a teachable moment. Uh, you would have seen in the communications that we've been use, uh, uh, issuing as a department that we've been making a call to families in South Africa who may have uh, family members in Ukraine that we may not know of to contact us, particularly if those people are unaccounted for. Let us know, give us, give us addresses, their contact numbers and details so that we're able to reach out to them and offer assistance. You will recall in all the years that I've been here, we've always been making a call to South Africans who travel overseas to do two things. One, let the Department of International Relations know. We've got a system where we register people who are traveling. And we do this because if you, in case you are caught up in a situation of distress where you need assistance, we're able to locate you and provide you with that, uh, assistance. There are natural disasters that happen all the time uh, internationally. There are all sorts of things. People get into trouble with the law, get arrested. If you're arrested, we're able to visit you, ascertain that you've been treated well, and make contact with your family to arrange legal representation and all of that. So in this case, in Ukraine, there would have been people that were in that country that we didn't know of because they never registered with us, and therefore we don't even know that they are there. So we've been making that call. And since we made that call, there are people that uh, we've come to know of that they want their South Africans to, they're in that country, 
and we've been updating our numbers, even in terms of the database, as we receive information from their families. So once again, we'll make that call. If you're going to be traveling overseas anyway, for whatever reason, it's absolutely critical to let us know. If you can't do that, when you get to a country, uh, your final destination, find out if there's enough uh, South African embassy, let them know, because you just never know when you may need them. So, so Clayson, you accept then that there were South Africans who would not have registered with the consulate who would well have been in Ukraine? Yeah, no, no, it, it, it always happens. It always yes. happens that so uh, there will be people that we don't know of. Uh, so the communications that we would have issued uh, may have not reached them, uh, which would then explain why. Uh, I mean, yesterday I was dealing with a complaint that somebody was saying, they were never, you know, um, informed of what was happening. They never got the information. And when we dig deeper, we found out that they were not even registered with us and therefore wouldn't have had access to the information that Ambassador so, Andrew yes. was so, 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 out. So then bearing in mind the fact that you did not have all South Africans on this WhatsApp group that had been created with information warning people to leave the country, why did South Africa not issue a broad um, advisory to its citizens in Ukraine like we saw other, other countries who know that, have, that they have a strong community of students in Ukraine? We saw India do it. We saw China do it. In fact, these are countries that had planned to charter flights to go and fetch their students um, to to try and avoid them being caught up in this conflict. Why would the South African government not have had similar considerations? No, but you're making a wrong assumption that the information that was shared was limited to the WhatsApp group. I mentioned that as one example, a platform that was utilized to share information. All other channels... But when, 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 when was an advisory sent for South Africans to, to leave Ukraine? I don't remember seeing an advisory. When was it sent? This was done by Ambassador Grunewald. I didn't say it was done by us here. He was communicating with the South Africans who are there, but utilizing all platforms available, because his primary responsibility was to the South African nationals based in Ukraine. Yes, but I'm asking which platforms, um, Clayson, because it also doesn't make sense that you would have a travel advisory that's issued that's limited to just Ukraine. What about South Africans that could well have been wanting to travel to uh, Ukraine? Why was it not a broad advisory? No, but, 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 but uh, Kathy, you, 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 you're using um, an issue that I don't understand to elevate it to a status that really doesn't deserve. Here's the thing, there is no South African that we've come in contact with here or even in Ukraine who claims that the information that we passed on to our nationals there through our embassy did not reach them. One, it wasn't just a WhatsApp group, all available platforms, including local media there, carried these messages in Ukraine. So, so, in so fact, the reason in some of the neighboring countries. The reason I'm saying this is because the students that we have been speaking to, Clayson, say that there was no communication from the South to? African government. Uh, just, just hang on, because I want us to, to continue with the, with the conversation in a moment. Uh, I'll give you a chance to respond, but I'm saying this based on what students have told us was their lived experience.
they say that there has been no communication. Mandisa was one of them who told us that, and she is with three other uh, South Africans that, uh, you know, managed to come together and, and traverse uh, basically this terrain together. But it's just after 9.30. I'm going to take the latest news headlines. We'll continue the conversation with Clayson Munyela. He's with Durko after this. All right. We continue the conversation on the talking point, and we're talking to uh, Clayson Munyela. He is with DOCO. And, of course, we are reflecting then on the experience of South African students who have been caught up in the Ukraine conflict and um, part of, you know, just the message, the messages uh, that we have been getting from students about how they feel that they've been left in the lurch and not supported. Uh, Mr. Munyela, you still on the line? I am, I am, yes. Okay, and fantastic. I want to respond to, to the Yes, yes, go for it. The, the, the news. Um, so here's the thing. I mean, firstly, I don't know what uh, Mandisa means when she says uh, she didn't receive information. From the, the uh, data that is in front of me and what I know, all students, at least the 34 that we have on our database, were given information. And in fact, in fact, if you don't believe me, just go on to Twitter and see what the other students who would, be, would have been in the same university where Mandisa is have said themselves, not me. They confirmed that prior to the attacks, during and even on an hourly basis, at some point, they were receiving information from Ambassador Grunewald and his team. So, I mean, I understand people are upset and frustrated. This is a conflict zone and emotions are high. But to claim they never got information, particularly the students, I would find that very hard to believe. As I say, I'm part of these uh, uh, groups myself, and I see the information that's been shared. The issue that she, were, she was raising, unfortunately, around the expectation of monetary support or assistance, policy on consular support is non-financial. Uh, so I want to be very categorical about that. But around the sharing of information, I think uh, uh, that, and you don't have to take my word for it, the other students that she's uh, with today, uh, I mean, are, are confirming that they got information in time, timelessly, and uh, it was updated as and when developments were taking place. When it comes to generally um, how the government responded to this, because it seems to me that a lot of the plans around the safety and security of South Africans, that those were set into motion when the conflict had already escalated to a certain stage. So, uh, you know, which is part of what made it difficult then for people to start fleeing because even those that had perhaps booked flights had those flights cancelled when uh, air travel effectively came to a complete halt. Uh, do you think that you could have made um, uh, arrangements and the call to evacuate citizens sooner? Okay, I want to make sure that I understand your question so that I don't respond to a wrong question. Uh, what, what, can you clarify what you mean by that? I'm asking you, I gave you the example of China and India that have a large yeah. constituency of students right. in Ukraine and right. countries like the UK. By the 7th of February, they had already started issuing advisories. And in some instances, at least in the, you know, in the case of China and India, had started preparing flights that would be chartered for their students. 
Now, right. I'm asking that the response by the South African government in terms right. of sending out the warnings and maybe even going as far as making plans to evacuate South Africans out of oh, okay. Ukraine. You. Do you think oh, that that could have... Because I know that South Africa at this I point still doesn't, did not have plans to evacuate South Africans, which is something that we'll get to in a moment. But in general, do you think that this is something that you could have responded to a lot more timelessly? Because you're making this about the students, I'll also be very specific about this, around the students. So here's what the students have said to us. Even if there had been a plane uh, that had landed in that country prior to this attack, they wouldn't have left because their universities were still offering classes and some of them were told, if you leave, you are going to miss out on work and uh, there was no plan for catch-up and all. This is what the students have said to us. Uh, uh, Student, uh, rather, classes were still happening, I think, up until the day before the first attack took place. So the idea, because you, you're making this about the students, irrespective of whatever plan may have been in place, the students wouldn't have left. But, but, yeah, but, but Jason, the department say, no, no, can't absolve itself of a solution. You asked a, very, you asked a very long question, so can you give me a chance to also be long in explaining so that your listeners get the benefit of information? So that's the first thing to say. Secondly, to say our, our evacuation plan, every embassy in the world has an evacuation plan. Ours was updated as developments were taking place uh, up until the very uh, uh, eve of these attacks. Uh, so I can assure you that a plan has already uh, was, was in place. Uh, but when it comes to the students, this is what they said to us themselves, that right until the day of the attack, the day before, they were still uh, having classes and academic programs, so they wouldn't have left. But, Clayson, the department can't absolve itself of not having had a plan. So I hear you we in terms of what, what, what was your plan? What was your plan? The evacuation plan is there. No, but what is it? And I'm remember, asking you to tell me what it is. No, but what do you mean by that? What do you mean? No, you, you said plan? that you you have you had a plan. I'm asking you to share with us what that plan is. The evacuation plan entails security uh, measures of how you move in an environment where there is a conflict. The second layer that complicated that plan, uh, if you want to be that detailed, by the way, is that the, 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 the skies, uh, the airspace, has been shut in Ukraine, as you know, and that also extends to some of the neighboring countries. So that then details uh, the extent to which we're able to execute certain elements of the plan. For example, if the plan said you needed to send a plane uh, to go and evacuate South Africans, that already falls off because you can't land in that country. There are bombs going on everywhere. Secondly, the third layer, or, or, or one of the elements of that plan, entails moving your nationals to neighboring countries from where you're able to then uh, exercise options and move them uh, back to South Africa safely, which has been executed. I've just given you numbers of South, South Africans who are in Ukraine, uh, rather, sorry, in Hungary, in Romania, in Slovakia, and in Poland. That's one element of the plan that has been so, successfully executed. So, so, so the plan that, that you say has been successful is part that partly includes South Africans who've had to find their own way in Ukraine to a border, in some instances, as you explained earlier, where they've been denied access into the various countries. 
Is that the evacuation part of the evacuation plan that you no, say but, has been but, successful? But, you, but you're, you're talking like you're dealing with a normal country. This is an, a country that's experiencing an armed conflict. And I'm not disputing always, that. No, no, but hang on, hang on, hang on. There's elements of the plan that would be have to be adjusted because some of the uh, um, uh, the developments wouldn't have been anticipated. One, uh, you couldn't move around. So trains were the only means of transportation. This is why part of the information we shared with South Africans said, take advantage of the trains. Get onto those trains and move towards the border areas of countries that are accepting people who are fleeing from this armed conflict. When they got there, we had ambassadors from neighboring right. countries. M- Mr. Minela, ap- apologies. I'm going, to, I'm going to have to interrupt you there. We've just got a quick break coming up. We'll continue uh, the conversation after this. We're in conversation with Durko's Kaysen Munyela. We continue the conversation on the talking point. I'll be taking your calls shortly on 011-714-2006. On the WhatsApp line, you can send us messages on 0614-104-107. On Twitter, at SFM Radio, the hashtag there, SFM Talking Point. We're in conversation with Clayson Munyela. He, of course, represents the Department of International Relations. He's the head of public diplomacy in that particular institution. Uh, Mr. Munyela, so so I want to give you a chance, perhaps, to to complete um, yeah. your your reasoning in terms of why you say parts of the evacuation plan that you had in place has not been successful. Well, that's not what I said. In fact, I said that uh, uh, one of the elements of the plan <laughs> would include, in a scenario where uh, you're not able to arrange a way of transporting groups, we advise. Uh, South African nationals to take advantage of the trains that were still moving to move towards the border areas. And when they got there, we had activated ambassadors from some of the neighboring countries. I mean, for example, Ambassador Tengiwe in uh, Budapest, Hungary, and his team had to be on the ground around the border areas to facilitate the movement of South Africans into that country. Same with uh, Ambassador Mgunezulu from Warsaw in Poland. She's been sleeping in her car staying at the border areas for two reasons. One, to facilitate that South Africans cross into Poland. When they cross, she receives them, and then we provide further support and assistance. So I would reject vehemently the idea that, uh, you know, uh, nothing's been done. In fact, our teams, under very trying conditions, uh, in a situation where there's an armed conflict, have gone far above the call of duty to ensure that our nationals are prioritized and given assistance. And we've been successful in moving many of them under very trying conditions. It's interesting to me that in a situation, again, where we're dealing um, predominantly with students who have expressed, uh, you know, a, a feeling of not being supported, being left stranded, that the circumstances would not be seen as exceptional by the government exceptional enough you yourself have highlighted just how phenomenal the situation that they find themselves in that it would not be seen as exceptional enough to allow some form of support in as far as helping these students get home because as things stand we know that there are students who some have managed to cross cross the border but don't have the funds to come home. We've been in conversations with, with, with uh, organizations 
that are dealing with some of these students and trying to raise money for them to be able to come back home? So, so what are you asking? What are you asking me there? I'm asking you why it is that the money. government would not see this as exceptional, why the, the government would not define these as exceptional circumstances that would warrant some level of support, even if it is a mere plane ticket, to help get these students back home. Yeah. So, so if you, you, you heard me when I was talking about uh, the policy around consular services, you would have heard me saying the policy is very specific, that the support that is given to South Africans in situations of distress uh, abroad is non-financial. So that's the policy of government. Now, if you know a uh, government and the way it operates is that if you are to be in breach of a policy of government, there are consequences. Uh, this includes uh, the AG uh, making a finding if you spend money that's not budgeted for or allowed in terms of policy. Uh, that invites, uh, you know, qualifications uh, on matters of financial uh, opinion that the AG will give. That's one side. Secondly, uh, it would be false and factually incorrect to say no support was given to the students. I've articulated the level of support that has been given, non-financial as it is. Uh, for example, if we accommodate a student and there's a meal uh, that's given, uh, again, that uh, constitutes support. Secondly, or thirdly, uh, we contacted their families, and some of these families uh, were able to buy plane tickets uh, for them to come home. Yesterday, I think we received three students who arrived back in the country. I think there's two arriving today, uh, and I think even tomorrow. So point I'm making is that also you have to factor in the issue of numbers. I think when Cabinet uh, sits and decides uh, that uh, there's a need for an evacuation and therefore a budget is attached uh, to that project, I think they weigh several options, including is there any other way of moving, moving people to areas that are safe? In this case, the numbers that we've been able to move into neighboring countries tell a story. And the fact that uh, from those countries, people are, um, are able to make their way back to South Africa uh, uh, then tells you that there are other options that are available. Uh, so, and so also Mr. Mignana, I'm speaking specifically now about students that don't have money to come back home. Those, yeah, but those students are the students that I'm referencing here. And I'm no, saying Kathy. to you that you gave us an example of the instances where the South African government found that the circumstances were exceptional enough. And you mentioned one of them being the collapse of the building in Nigeria where South African citizens were brought back home. And I'm asking you why a crisis like a, a conflict that we're seeing is not considered exceptional. Yes, they have families, but even those South Africans who were caught up in Nigeria, they too had families. So yeah. I'm just asking you to give me the yeah, clarity of, of why it's not exceptional. Yeah, no, no, I've had the question. Let, let's deal with that. Firstly, that, that question uh, uh, shouldn't be asked to Derko because it's, a bit, uh, uh, it's not our mandate. Those decisions are taken at a higher level. But I'll say this. Um, it's not a Derko matter, so this would be a cabinet issue. But I'll say this. When a decision like that is taken, there are several factors that are, 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 are weighed in. And that also uh, speaks to the issue of numbers. It speaks to whether there are other options available to move people out. 
so it's not uh, a decision that's taken in isolation without uh, considering the prevailing uh, conditions and uh, options on the ground. Having said that, of course we sympathize and we'll be empathetic to students who would be sitting in a neighboring country uh, and their families are not able to raise the funds to bring them back to South Africa. Um, so, so each case would be looked at on its own merit. But there are students whose families can afford uh, and in fact have already brought them home. Uh, so when we talk about students, we shouldn't uh, put people uh, in one box. Uh, in the context where the policy limits uh, the extent to which certain things are doable because the policy talks about non-financial support. We are in conversation with Durko's Clayson Munela. That's what he has to say in as far as the South African government's response to this uh, conflict and, you know, the South Africans then that have expressed uh, a concern, particularly being left stranded. At least that's the feeling uh, that has been shared by some of them uh, that are fleeing this conflict. I want to go to the lines quickly. Uh, Crispin, good morning. You're calling us from Durban. Uh, good morning, Kathy and Kaysen. Um It's great to have a representative of the case. Yeah, you should want to raise this remarkable, absolutely remarkable statement yesterday. For years, South Africa has been taking the position. Chris, Crispin, uh, sorry for yeah. for whatever reason, I'm 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 not hearing you clearly. I don't know if you uh, if, if 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 you're in an area if you're in a room that's got a bit of an okay. echo. Okay, is that better? Yes, yes, much better. Thank you. Okay, so for years, South Africa has taken the position that we observe international law. We condemn the invasion of Iraq. There was a clear violation of law. We condemn because it violates international law resolutions of the UN. And suddenly we switch. So what Israel's been saying with it's All right. Crispin, I'm not sure what's going on with that line, but Clayson, it sounds to me that he's talking about the voting of South Africa at the UN General Assembly and why it is that South Africa abstained from that vote. Oh, I couldn't hear him. Uh, so he's asking about what? So I'm saying that from what I could pick up, he's alluding to the vote of South Africa in the UN General Assembly and abstaining from the resolution um, that was oh. passed, yes. And why oh, South see. Africa is not clear about a position effectively where international oh. law has been broken. Oh, I see, I see. Oh, okay, no, no, he may have missed it, in fact, because um, after the the vote that took place in the General Assembly, South Africa issued a statement explaining our vote. So the resolution that was before the uh, United Nations General Assembly uh, did not create, in our view as South Africa, an environment conducive for diplomacy, dialogue and mediation, which is what we've been calling for. Uh, we've always been uh, maintaining the principle that international disputes and political challenges are best resolved through peaceful means, and that means dialogue. I mean, whilst we agree with the uh, support um, taken by member states to bring uh, to the attention of the international community the situation in Ukraine, South Africa feels that greater attention should have been paid to bring the site closer to dialogue. For South Africa, uh, the text in its current form, uh, the resolution that was before the UNGA, 
could drive a wedge deeper between the parties uh, than contributing to a, a resolution of the conflict. In fact, we also made the point that other countries should have welcomed the fact that they were, the talks had commenced, which is what South Africa had been calling for. And we had said we, have, we advised the two sides to approach these talks with a spirit of compromise uh, in observance of international law and humanitarian law. For us, that's how you preserve human rights because then you'll avoid loss of life, you'll avoid loss, you'll avoid loss of um, or rather destruction of properties and infrastructure. So we, we, we think that diplomacy should be given a chance. South Africa is an example. We are a product of a negotiated settlement. Uh, so we always favor dialogue uh, to resolve crises. So, so which part of the resolution did South Africa have a problem with particularly? No, like I'm saying to you, uh, we, we, we thought that the resolution did not acknowledge enough. Firstly, uh, the role of the Security Council. You know, the United Nations Security Council is the organ of the United Nations charged with the maintenance of international peace and security. The current Security Council has a stalemate because we have permanent five members with veto powers. Any matter that comes before the Security Council where they have an interest, they veto that resolution. You would know that in the month of February, Russia was in fact holding the presidency of the Security Council. Uh, there was a, uh, this resolution that uh, went before the General Assembly first started in the Security Council. It was vetoed. It's not the first time. Try and bring any resolution before the council on matter of uh, or the plight of the Palestinian people. United Nations will veto that. Uh, and there are many other examples. So the stalemate in the Security Council makes it unable to discharge its responsibility of the maintenance of international peace and security. Now, this resolution that was voted on yesterday says nothing about the role of the, role of the Security Council. It says nothing about the role of the Secretary General. It says nothing about uh, the, uh, the space for diplomacy and mediation and peace. And that's what we are calling for as a matter of principle. So we abstained. And by the way, abstaining doesn't mean you support or endorse what's happening. Uh, it just means that uh, you don't think the text goes far enough to facilitate the solution because voting and condemning is one thing then what happens after that we believe that diplomacy is the way to go is there disagreement in the department about how south africa should have responded to this crisis because we've seen of course um you know the statements that have been issued and some of uh, the differences there you would have noted the media reports as well is is, is that a, a fair reflection of what has been happening in the department no, the department is very clear on our uh, position. Uh, our foreign policy uh, is very clear on matters of this nature, that uh, we favor a resolution of international disputes and political challenges through dialogue. So if you read all the statements that we've issued, the thrust, the main thrust, the message, the key issue we are raising is that diplomacy must be given a chance. So there's absolutely no confusion. There's no uh, and, uh, anybody that is hearing from the script. We are on the same page, and we maintain that coalition today. Does South Africa support a call for Russia to withdraw its forces from Ukraine? Look, so what we have said uh, previously is that in order to give space for diplomacy, 
for talks to commence uh, in a way that the environment is such that both sides uh, are able to raise issues and approach them in a spirit of compromise. You need a cessation of hostilities to give diplomacy a chance. And I think that call remains relevant even today. So what does that mean? Do you support a call for Russia to withdraw its troop, troops from Ukraine? In but as when we call for a cessation, of, a cessation of hostilities means exactly that. It, it means the fighting must stop so that you give diplomacy a chance. Clayson, overall, there's been lots of different things said about South Africa's response to this conflict. Do you think that as Durko, particularly dealing with matters of diplomacy here, that you will be found to have been on the right side of history? We've been absorbed, absorbed so many times. Uh, it's the first time we deal with uh, uh, an issue of conflict uh, in other uh, uh, countries where we've maintained a principal stance, and later on, history proves us correct. On the matter of Iraq, Again, we warned that there were no uh, weapons of mass destruction in that country. Uh, we condemned uh, the unilateral action of the United States to go into that country and invade it um, uh, and do what was uh, uh, done. And today, that country is still struggling to recover uh, from that particular action that we condemned. We've been absorbed, absorbed by history. History has vindicated us. In Libya, again, there was a resolution that uh, was taken by the Security Council, which was abused by certain powers. Libya has been destroyed to this day. It's still struggling. There are many examples uh, uh, on our continent and in other regions of the world where South Africa's call was not heeded. And years later, history vindicates us. Even on this matter, we're quite convinced because we are speaking to a principle uh, that uh, uh, this principle will again be vindicated. So do you condemn Russia's invasion then of Ukraine? No, but you see, that's exactly what the resolution last night sought to do. And we abstained. And the reasons why we abstained, I've just articulated them to you, because that text does not go far enough, particularly in terms of uh, 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 providing a way forward on how do you resolve the crisis. There are people who are married to the word condemn. So after you condemn, what happens? because you still have to find a solution. So our view is that diplomacy, uh, mediation, dialogue, negotiations is the way you produce a durable solution to any international dispute. Armed conflicts produce destruction, death, and loss of life. We believe diplomacy is what needs to be given a chance. Yes, but Clayson, you said your abstaining from that vote does not mean that you support what has happened. So I'm asking if you condemn very specifically, I'm not talking about what else is contained in that resolution that you may have issue with. I'm asking, does the South African government condemn what no, has happened? And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, that word that people appear to be married to of condemn, was in the resolution that we abstained on, precisely because the text had issues that uh, we felt uh, did not uh, uh, was not going to move this issue any further. So, uh, if you con if you don't condemn, this. then no, what do you do? No, but hang on, I need to. I'm explaining. I'm responding to your question because uh, I don't understand the obsession with the word uh, people who are married to the word condemn. After you condemn, one, what happens? I'm asking in response just to the conflict, if South Africa does not condemn it, 
how what is then the posture of 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 Durko on that one yeah but 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 whether you condemn one side whether you condemn russia or you condemn ukraine do you note do you net. note what has happened what do you? Needs to, no, no hang on what needs to happen is that these two countries have to be assisted for meaningful dialogue to take place so that there is a peaceful resolution that helps us to avoid further loss of life and further destruction of property and infrastructure. That's what is required here, diplomacy. And we are insisting that the United Nations must play a central role, supported by all of us members of the international community. That text that was before the UNGA yesterday ignored those important uh, issues which were going to help in terms of resolving the crisis. The obsession with condemning one side to a conflict doesn't move the needle. All right. Clayson Munyela, let's leave it there for this morning. Clayson, of course, is with the Department of International Relations. It's after 10 o'clock. Let's take you to the latest news. Independent and impartial. This is SAFM News.